as the pastor says, and your copy of the word turn to John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to talk and think about tonight some ideas of light and darkness. Light and darkness. We'll talk about those some details. Okay. But whatever verses you have, if you want to follow along here as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was in the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and darkness is not overcome. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, <clears throat> full of grace and truth. We'll stop there for right now. We could finish the whole chapter. But uh, we'll stop there for right now. If you look at some facts about the actual Gospel of John, it's, it's interesting, of course, as all of the books of the Bible are. It's written by John. No big surprise there. It's not explicitly stated that way, but scholars and historians, of course, believe that was the case. He was uh, a son of Zebedee and he and his brother, what were they called in uh, Luke chapter 3? Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. Scholars are a little inconclusive on the time frame that was written. Um, and the final analysis, it doesn't make that much difference. Sometimes we talk about things we wish we knew. I know in our community group, every so often somebody will say, well, I wish we knew more about whatever this, or we knew about that, and 10 other things. And it would be interesting if we did. But the fact is, God's Word tells us exactly what He wanted to tell us. No more, no less. Some scholars, theologians, think it could have been written somewhere between A.D. 55 and 95. Others push a little bit out from that, say A.D. 70 to 100. And there's some backup for that later date. What happened in A.D. 70 to historian people? Temple was destroyed. 100, A.D. 100, roughly, that was around the end of John's life, as far as we can tell. Another clue in Chapter 6, 1 and 21, verse 1, 
he called instead of the Sea of Galilee, he called it the Sea of Tiberias. It was not named that until after the first century. And then in chapter 21, verse 19, he made kind of an oblique reference to Peter's death, which was somewhere between 64 and 66 AD. But again, we don't know and don't get wrapped around the axle about that. Another thing, there is <clears throat> there is no uh, reference to the Sadducees in here. And guess what happened to them? Well, when the temple, and the other thing in addition to my back and legs, my voice comes and goes, so be prepared. <laughs> After the um, temple was destroyed, the Sadducees, as a um, sect, a part of the Sanhedrin, they just kind of fizzled out. So, and there's three or four locations that are speculated where John wrote this. Alexandria, Antioch, Ephesus, and Palestine with Ephesus probably being the most likely location. Again, interesting factoids, but like I said, don't get too wrapped up in it. But <clears throat> the purpose of the book, that is definitely important. If you flip over to chapter 20 of John's Gospel, Verse 31 and 30, or verse 30 and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that my and that by believing you may have life in his name. He said there in verse 30, Jesus performed many signs, many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not recorded here. If you flip back a couple of chapters to chapter 21, verse 25, it says there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose not even the world could contain the books that would be written. So, there were many signs and wonders performed by Jesus, a lot were written down for our benefit, but there were many that weren't. <coughs> so your first film in there, John's Gospel, has the fewest number of recorded signs and miracles um, in the four Gospels. Eight seems to be the number of those. And just for good measure, Matthew has 20, Mark 18, and Luke 20. Now, why that discrepancy, or not discrepancy, but difference there? Well, remember the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, pretty closely follow <coughs> each other and record what Jesus did with his disciples and the larger group of people that were basically hangers on, I guess. <coughs> all of that. Especially uh, the Gospel of Mark. Mark is a book that has a lot of action in it. If you've read it, if you've studied it, one of the key words in there is immediately. 
you read through there, you'll see immediately this happened. Immediately Jesus went there. Immediately the disciples came and did thus and so. So there was a lot of action going on. John's Gospel, it has some of those in it, but it's more theological. Uh, It has discourses with Jesus to and with his disciples and also to and with the religious leaders. And in those discourses are his teachings. And John focused on those. Now, the topic for tonight, be a light in the world. In the Old and New Testament, there are over 200 references to some kind of word that is translated into English as light. And there are at least 12 to 15 different Hebrew and Greek words that are translated as light into English. I don't know if you, um, some of you know I'm a writer and uh, I like words. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a homograph or a homophone. Now that's not a musical instrument, by the way. <laughs> Just to be upfront and honest with you. And the reason I mention those uh, with 12 or a dozen or more Greek and Hebrew words distinct in and of themselves that are simply translated in whatever version is light, I think of uh, like a non-English speaker trying to learn English, how difficult that is. Um, Sometimes it's difficult for English speakers to learn English, so there's all sorts of problems there. But a homograph is a word that has the same spelling as another word, but it has a different sound and perhaps a different meaning. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, uh, risk turning this thing over. Yeah, why not? What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, it could fall over and I could fall over. Oh, you're, you've been there. Huh? Yeah. Okay, well, good. I've got company, I've got company then. That's close enough. I didn't go anywhere. So, just as a, for example, and this is kind of a sidebar to the things, but it highlights the richness of the Hebrew and the Greek, the Koine Greek, the everyday common language that people spoke back then. If I were to ask John to stand and take a group people over to the sanctuary, what would he be doing? He would lead. But what is the metal that supposedly Superman can't see through? So there's an example of that. If, however, John, instead of going directly over to the sanctuary, he goes out the door and through the parking lot and down to the core and back around, it is a 
course that is not straight, a wind or a winding way. But when the limbs of the trees sway back and forth and blow leaves on your lawn, there's a wind. And then with um, from a musical standpoint, a person that has a low voice, male or female, they're a bass. But if you go fishing and are fortunate, you may hook a bass. So there's a couple of examples of a hummingbird. Graph means writing. Homophone is a word that has the same sound as another word, but a different meaning. Two, two, two. Or Run past the goalpost, but to uh, 
share or to emphasize the variations of these words that in English get translated one way. Uh, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus talking, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in your heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that particular word, not in contrast to illumination, but it means in weight or heaviness. One verse that I have always remembered from about the time I was big as the stool here. Psalm 119, 105, talking about light. Your upward is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. You know, we We ask God for direction and guidance as we should. And he'll give it as he always does. But what do we really want sometimes when we do that? We want, well, maybe, maybe some of you are different than I am, but sometimes I want to know when I walk out the door and I turn this way and I go that way, where is the path going to be? Where is the end result of things? Quite often, he doesn't do it that way, does he? Some of us see a few head nods. I hope you're either in agreement or you're dozing. One of the two. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But quite often, he just shows us a step at a time. I thought about making an example by uh, turning the lights off for this, but then I'd liable to fall over the piano or something. <laughs> so, as entertaining as that would be, I'm not going to. But thinking about how the Lord leads us, I brought one of my old flashlights that I used to carry with me on duty back in Arizona. And it just reminds me, at least, of how God leads us. I'm standing here, and there's a square of light in front of my foot. And I can move right there, and I can see where I'm going. But if this whole room were dark, I couldn't see up that way or this way or that way. And then there's another square and I can take another step when God shows me where to go and when to go. I was in class this morning at our Wednesday morning men's class over at Hickory Boat Grove and we were studying uh, Moses leading the children out from uh, Egypt with the Red Sea the Egyptian army after them and one of the things that he told Moses to tell them was to wait we want to know not only what's here, but what's there and there and there and there and everything. Sometimes God chooses to do it that way. Quite often in the scripture, if you haven't already picked up on it, there is a lot of contrast and a lot of interplay 
with this light and dark idea is basic to uh, a lot of biblical theology for that matter. It's the interplay between natural light, visible light, and spiritual light, and the same thing with darkness. John uh, 11, 8 to 12, says, But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, for there not 12 hours of daylight. Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, but they see by the world's light. It is when the person walks at night that they stumble, or they have no light, literally and figuratively and spiritually. And then in uh, <clears throat> chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 5 of uh, Matthew 5, 6, 14 to 16, it says, You are the light of the world. You have a red letter edition, those are all in red. Jesus is talking. He says, A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There were four renditions in English of light, and it used three of those four different Koine Greek words that I've talked about a little while ago there. Let's look just to get a good idea of light and dark. An example in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Uh, I mentioned uh, the uh, Exodus and how Moses was leading the people after Pharaoh finally said, yes, you can go. In chapter uh, 10 of Exodus, verses 21 to 23, that details the ninth sign that was inflicted on the Egyptians. It affected only the Egyptians, not the Israelites, and there was no warning that that was going to happen. Three of the ten signs had no warning. This is certainly one of them. The other one, the other two were the gnats and the boils that were inflicted on people. There was no warning for those. But listen to what is written about that. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. (coughs) So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet, all of the Israelites had light in the places where they they lived. So talk about a contrast with light and dark. The whole country of Egypt was in darkness for three days to the extent that they could feel the darkness, and they couldn't move. And yet there was the little light over the Israelites where they were 
Now, I don't know if they do this anymore or not, but when I heard that uh, story, or read that, those verses, I remember a story that uh, my mother used to tell me about. Um, some, some of you <clears throat> remember that uh, I grew up in Kentucky and it based in my mother. And she grew up in the area near uh, a big, huge underground cavern called Mammoth Cave. And she um, actually toured that when she was a girl back in the probably early 1920s. I grew up in Kentucky. I've never been to that particular location for two good reasons. One, I don't like tight places and I don't like creepy caves underground. <laughs> but uh, the Mammoth Cave complex is, is very extensive. Uh, it was made a national park in July of 1941. It covers over 52,000 acres underground, and even yet they still find new passages in there. And there's over 400 miles trails. Some of it very difficult to get down as far as stamina and risk really. And like I say, I don't know if they do this now, probably not with regulations and whatnot. But when mom was down on her tour, there were the people, the rangers and everybody and she was there. And then the head uh, ranger of the group, leading the group, said, okay, everybody stay right where you are. Don't move, hold on to your seat, sit down, hold on to the railing, be very quiet. And they pulled the knife switch and killed the lights in the place. And she said, you could not you could not see your finger in front of you. Just like the Egyptians. They still do that. They Okay. <coughs> and then, after a few minutes, oh, you know, everybody's, wow, this is weird. And then what did the rangers do? Pulled a match. Struck a match. One match in this cavern and it lit up the whole thing for a few for a few seconds, few minutes. <clears throat> it was very, very in the daylight it wouldn't make a bit of difference to you. But in total complete darkness it certainly did. In first John five or excuse me, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Now that's from the CSB version. Your version may be a little bit different than What does not come across in the English, again, often about words, <clears throat> the CSB <clears throat> comes pretty close to translating what the Koine Greek has here when it says there is absolutely no darkness in him. In the original, there is a double negative there in the Greek for emphasis. Now, English, double negatives for grammarians, they get all nervous about that. But in the Greek language, it was there for a reason. Listen to that same verse 
in the Amplified Version. 1 John 1 5. And this is the message, parenthesis, the message of promise, which we have heard from him and are now reporting to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. No, not in any way. And like it said uh, in the Christian Standard Translation, there is absolutely no darkness. So that is how they have um, translated that point in Greek double negative there. So we talk about darkness and light and we think about other things. We think about the time in the future such as Revelation chapter 21, 22 and 23. The city does not need the sun nor the moon to shine on. The glory of God gives light and the Lamb is its Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. So if we look around us and think about what we see in the world today, don't be discouraged. There is a day coming. There is a time coming when that new Jerusalem will come down and it won't need lights because the glory of God will be there. So when we talk about these things, it can be kind of discouraging without doubt. No, no question about it. So what can you do one other thing in your first fill-in there, make sure our daily Christian walk is as blameless and honorable as possible. Make sure our daily Christian walk is as <clears throat> blameless and honorable as possible. And if you wonder why that's important, just look at number two. Be a good witness for Jesus. Someone is always watching you. Someone is always watching you. And here's the deal about that. Folks will be watching you for any kind of slip-up you make, or in their eye, at least. Somebody's watching Eddie, and he says or does something a weak moment, shall we say, like we all do. There's a good chance he's not going to hear about it. They're not going to say, hey, Eddie, you goofed up, dude. Straighten up. They're going to tell their neighbor and the guy across the street and the woman on the street behind him. And he would never hear about it. I ran across before I get to
to that guy's church or to that woman's church, they all the people that's in there are just a bunch of hypocrites. As I was uh, locking up my iPad this afternoon, I got a um, email from uh, Pew Research, P-E-W, not Pew, <laughs> stinky, P-E-W, like the church benches. It's a very good, very about as impartial research organization that you'll run across. And the, uh, today's survey was about religious attitudes, for lack of a better word. Right now, they found about 28% of adults in America are religiously unaffiliated. Unaffiliated. And they, there's a common kind of word they said it goes back into the 60s of uh, the nuns, not uh, the little ladies with the funny looking hat, but the nuns that don't care anything about church, about religion, or anything of that nature. Um, Of that 28%, roughly, according to their survey, 17% were atheists, 20% agnostics, and 63%, the biggest part, nothing in particular. They just, you know, doesn't matter. So if Oh, and then they went on to say, why are some of these nuns um, not religious, not affiliated with any particular belief? 60% of them question religious teaching. 32% questioned uh, did not believe in God or, unquote, a higher power. 47% just didn't like religious organizations. 30% had a bad experience with religious people. Oops. 41% said they didn't see a need of religion in my life. 12% said, I don't have time for it. Doesn't mean a thing to me. So with numbers like that and statistics like that, do you think it'd be a good idea to watch how our Christian life is, what we do? what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say, what type of witness we are. We talked about Pastor a couple of weeks ago talked about witnessing. Um, so one way to help do that is number three, make sure we are grounded in God's Word. We need to make time to study Make sure we are grounded in God's Word. We need to make time to study. And the verse that always comes to mind when you're talking about that is 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker has no, who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. And let me read that again in the Amplified. I think it really, if 
fine-tunes that verse for us. Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. And when I said, make time to study, we have to do that. I have to do that, and I hope you do. It doesn't come, um, if you don't make that time, if you don't carve out and say, this time I'm going to read and study what, you know, a book, a passage, a character, in God's Word. And we have to be consistent. You can't just do it, get all fired up, and do it one day and then forget about it till the next month. It doesn't work that way. We have to carve out our time. I've often said, I, if I could look <clears throat> at a person's um, schedule for the week and the month, I can tell you what your priorities are. Same thing with your checkbook. Nobody, I'm not going to do that. Nobody's ever done that. But look at your where your finances are. What's important to you? Sure, we need you know food and groceries, and gasoline and fuel, heating, lighting, those things but the discretionary things. Is God's tithe foremost for us? Or does he get what's left over? Number four, pray for God's guidance to show you what part you will play in sharing the good news of the gospel. Pray for God's guidance to show you what part you will play in sharing the good news, the gospel. In that uh, second uh, group of buildings, I've got a double underline there. You will play. It's not optional. It's not optional. Matthew 28, Jesus came to them after they went to Galilee with disciples. And he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Literally, that last phrase, to the consummation of the age, is what it, what it translates as. But his command was, in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples. And I've looked and looked, and I cannot find a footnote in any of my Bibles on that verse where it says, go and make disciples. There's not a footnote that says, go when it's convenient. Go when it's easy. Go when you feel like it. Go when you want to. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We've got mission trips coming up 
this year. It's great. And I hope it'll be a good turnout for that. But what about the mission field for your neighbor next door? The people you rub shoulders with at your club, your social event. People you see in the grocery aisle. If you're still working or volunteering somewhere, what about those people? Go and make disciples. We've got a few minutes before we wrap up. Any thoughts? Saying, eh, watch what you're doing. 